In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Welcome to So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey, presented by Betches Media. This is an exploration of all pop culture, from the classic reality TV moments of the past and present to the latest Daily Mail headlines and everything in between. We'll dive into all the infamous and notorious messes you can't stop watching. We're looking at you, Tom Sandoval. Welcome to an all-new episode of So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey. This is your pal Ryan, and this is your Wednesday episode. This is your Wednesday episode, folks. How the heck is everybody doing out there? It is January 3rd. Has everybody, have they given up on their New Year's resolutions yet? How are you guys doing? Are you hanging in there? Uh, Listen, I didn't make resolutions this year because why? You can't. You can't improve on perfection. No, I just figured why set myself up for failure. And that's good. I think that's a good way potentially to start off. But we are just thrown back in. I mean, how many people had to go back to the office today and start answering emails again? It just we start this whole circus up. Now, the holiday wasn't really that relaxing for me. um, And it was uh, highly emotional for so many reasons. And uh, I'm really happy to start this new year. Like I told you yesterday, did you guys listen to that Teen Wolf recap? Isn't that just like a sh- like like ten shots of espresso every time I record with Annabelle DeSisto? I uh, I feel I, I I feel like I'm flying. I feel like I, I feel like I've drank so much coffee, and you know it's like two and a half hours in. We're just trying to land the plane, if that makes sense. But we're getting back to normal shows. Just remember, uh, I'll probably be putting out actually a couple episodes today because I have two guests that I want you to listen to. That is a little uh, it's pop culture related, but it's a little off the norm of what we usually do. And then remember, Thursday we're doing Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. That recap of the season finale that aired tonight. Holy mother bleep. Holy, oh my God, you guys. We're going to talk a, a hair about it just because I got to, just because there are so many thoughts. But I also think there's it's almost good that I'm going to wait 18 hours before I start recording like fully the recap about it because I think more stuff will be revealed. And I want to really see how I sit with this because I've been going back and forth all night Once I found out, and by the way, if you listen to this podcast, I told you, I told you on the last Salt Lake recap about the reality Bontees. I told you all of that. Like I, I I wasn't surprised what I was surprised and I don't want to spoil it for people that haven't watched it yet. So maybe fast forward for the next couple hours of the show. No, is that Heather Gay finally admitted the black eye. And I find it interesting that she admits her lie in the midst of trying to nail down Monica who has also not necessarily lied flat out, but is the one behind this account that trolled all of these women. And I mean, she almost presented herself as like a Batman of the meme variety of like, I was fighting. I was trying to take Jen Shaw down. Damn it. I was trying to take Jen Shaw down. I I have, I am very conflicted about a lot of this and I'm trying to see where I land. Cause some of it, I think, wow, man, Monica is kind of like, uh, there's a little bit of an urban hero in there. There's like a, 
it's like, oh, wow, she travels from town to town. And like, there's like a kind of a Robin Hood thing, but that doesn't make any sense at all. But then I'm like, yeah, these women obviously can't trust her at all. But can these women trust any of themselves to begin with? I, I found it so funny that they talked Heather. By the way, Heather had to have known about this before she went on this trip. And I'll point out some of those instances of why I think that when we do the full recap. But also, if you've been listening to my recaps, you will know one of my big reasons was on the beach in the last episode when they were talking and Monica said, oh, I'm the kind of person that would actually put something in a DM. And Heather goes, what? You're the kind of person that and like she she. And I know this sounds so douchey of me, but it, it w- coming from like, you know, acting classes and things like that, it was like Heather was hitting those lines so hard within an inch of their life where I was like, girl, like dial it back. It's not coming off natural. It's coming off so forced where I thought Heather thought that was like, well, I mean, it kind of was, was a gotcha moment of, oh, you would do that. You wouldn't do that. Don't say that. Like it was, it was too leading in a way. Go back and watch that scene. In fact, I think they did. They re-aired that little clip of it in a uh, uh, yeah they they re-aired that clip tonight. So there's that, but also you know Heather had a couple of monologues, and I'm like these seem so rehearsed. And I don't mean production was involved. I don't mean production was involved in it, but I do think Heather definitely had a plan of action. And I'm not saying Heather was wrong, and I'm not saying Heather is not you know triumphant in this because she was able to 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 get her point across and to really really reveal. Monica for who she is uh, and, and who she, how she relates to all these women. I, I found it really jaw dropping the last 20 minutes, but also I find it interesting. And one of my friends said online, she said, uh, she said, uh, I think Heather revealed about Jen giving her the black eye because Monica already knew it and would have probably revealed it. Like Monica does have dirt on all these ladies, but the the point is, all of these ladies, Lisa Rinna, uh, Margaret Josephs, all of these women, they do collect information on other housewives. We've talked about this. This is a open concept. It is not new. This is a game of Survivor. It turned into that about 10 years ago on these shows. And it is, I mean, now this is like, this is Survivor on steroids, though. This is like, this is wild. And I want to know when production knew, because I do think, and I think there is even an inkling, and I'm so sorry if anybody's listening over at Shed Media and I'm completely wrong, but I do think there is a possibility that they knew a little bit about this. Because remember, Monica was admittedly against Jen Shaw in her case, right? Like that was how she came on. There was like jokes about her wearing a wire for the FBI, all of this stuff. But is there a world in which Monica was honest with production? And would they, I don't know. There's so many things. And then that of course is the big question. The thousand dollar question will Monica be invited back and will she come back? And, and a lot of people were like, listen, Bravo needs to draw a line. This is, this is beyond the pale. But, and I will say Bravo really does poo poo this kind of stuff. I mean, I had heard from a source that I told you guys this, that Lisa Rinna didn't create an account, but she definitely was in the DMS of a lot of us memers and stuff like that and giving feeding information like, and got kind of caught with that. And I, I know they don't take too kindly to that. There do have to be rules in place. Listen, if housewives is becoming a sport, we do need to have referees. We do need to say when something's out of bound, when that is a foul and you might get kicked out of the game. I I don't know. I'm that's why I kind of want a little bit of time to sleep on it, because, listen, Monica, obviously, and Monica, if you're listening, hi, hello, fabulous first season, honestly. But Monica has a lot of issues. And I'm not saying all these other ladies don't have issues, but Monica 
And and I, I'm trying to add context to it. I'm trying to think in my mind uh, what would lead somebody to do all of this. And of course, there's revenge. Of course, she had very strong feelings against Jen Shaw. And I'm sure the time she worked with Jen, she saw what a horrible person Jen Shaw is. On the other hand, though, you don't want to then work with somebody, go against them, and in a sense, then turn into that person yourself. On top of that, she does have children. On top of that, she is divorced. On top of that, she is wanting to have a career in the future, and that's got to put a lot of pressure. I mean, you know, getting cast on a housewife show when you are not at the median income level is almost like robbing a bank. You got to really figure out the right, precise way to do it and to land, you know, to really make yourself memorable. And she did. But is she the ultimate one season wonder? Is she the ultimate one season wonder? That's what I keep going back and forth on. And we have a three part reunion. We have a three part reunion. Oh my God. I just kept thinking tonight, Mary Cosby not being there in Bermuda and thank God she wasn't because uh, that would have slowed it way down. Everybody having to explain what a burner account is to Mary. And Mary's like, what? What are you talking about, little girl? What are you talking about? Burner account? What are you talking about? Like, I, 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 I'm now very thankful. And that's almost another reason why I think production kind of knew because they were like, you know what? Some shit's really going to go down the Bermuda trip. We, uh, we don't think we're going to have Mary here. She might really slow things down. Also, we only have one driver for the Sprinter van and we can't have it going off to McDonald's in Bermuda to, uh, to get Mary a McRib or something. Um, I don't know. There's so many things. And already the housewives are going off on social media. Meredith Marks in a tweet. Uh, this is great. I just posted this a while ago. Uh, she tweeted or twatted or X'd or whatever we're calling it these, these days. She says, I found out about the security footage of MMPC shortly before the trip. Perhaps now you understand why I was staying calm and quiet, trying to piece together the puzzle as accusations were flying. So Meredith says she knew because what the other big reveal was is that you can tell that Monica Garcia uh, in an old hairstyle or a wig was in Meredith Marks Park City. That's what MMPC means. It's not the MCU, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It is Meredith Marks Park City. Um, and uh, we see the footage of her in there. And that was the time that something got stolen from Meredith Marks store. But we see her on the security footage. But Meredith right here says that she found out about the security footage before the trip. And that's why she was so weird. And here I'm thinking it's just because of the bathtub. This lady doesn't have a bathtub. I think that actually is probably the bigger the bigger thing why she was acting weird, but it does lead me to believe that they all potentially knew, or at least Meredith and Heather. I don't think Lisa did because Lisa went so hard against Meredith. Also, wouldn't it be great at the end if Angie K at the end of this episode just like turned, turned around slowly, looked at the camera and winked. And that was our sign that she's behind this with the Greek mafia. And she's like, ha I got away with it again. Yeah, the big reveal, you guys, was uh, Jen Shaw gave Heather Gay the black eye. And the bigger reveal was, hold on to your, is Angie K revealed she's Greek? Yeah, no shit. Like, she fully revealed she's Greek. And I don't know. The black eye was pretty shocking. But then I heard that Greek thing. I was like, no flipping way. So I've got some uh, 23andMe, some genealogists on this. We've got it. We've got to crack the code. If anybody has access to one of Angie K's, just like a hair or maybe a pizza crust she's bitten into, we're going to do some DNA testing because I want to get I want to get to the bottom of this. I need to find out if this woman is Greek or not. What if that is the like one part of the reunion is just Andy going over her Greek genealogy of like, OK, take me back. How do we how do we OK, we're in Greece. Who's there? How do we get over? Like, I want I want everything. I want a full documentary 
on Angie's family being Greek. I don't know, you guys. All I know is it's January 2nd, and that's pretty great. That's pretty great television for the second. And I had already given up on the year on January 1st. Early in the morning on January 1st, I said, you know what? This year, wake me when it's 2025. But then I watched this, and I'm like, I'm excited again. I started making memes again. They weren't really funny, but I was at least, my mind was, you know, I was about to say creative, but I don't think we can call that creativity. But it just, it really, it just cracked me up because there was also that great thing at the end of all the ladies hugging each other, the four of Meredith, Whit, Whitney, I'm going to hug all the girls. Uh, Meredith, Lisa, Whitney, and Heather hugging each other of like, we, we, you know, just, I love it. It was like the sisterhood of the traveling pants all of a sudden, like, you know, they all really don't really like each other, but they're, they're trauma bonding in that moment. And I thought that was so great, you know, and then poor Angie K watch Angie K's face during a lot of the reveal at that dinner. I don't think she knew what was happening or what was going on. And but the other thing was the reality Von T's account and Monica even brought this up was listen, all of these housewives have interacted with that account. And we saw Angie K's of like, girl, you crack me up, girl. They all love this shit. I'm telling you as somebody that has done this has made memes. They do love this shit. They love it. And if they don't like somebody, one of their castmates and you kind of do a pointed joke, they love it. And they will let you know. They will let you know. I usually keep things like that private unless I've given, like, been given permission, um, which I want to tell you a story about uh, that in one sec. Also, Tanisha, the girl that Monica throws under the bus, uh, Heather Gay's stylist now, or her hairstylist, I think, she actually did a bunch of Instagram stories. I think you can find her account. I'm going to play some of her audio that she recorded on her Instagram stories on Thursday's recap. But she's saying Monica's full of shit. Like, listen, I was th- I was trying to be a good friend to Monica and uh, Kona or Com- whatever the guy's name was uh, that was involved in this as well. But she did not start the Reality Montez account. And I think we all kind of knew that. I think Monica was just trying to throw anything at the wall in that moment because she was busted. Um, but this Tanisha seems like a really nice lady, but I'll play you some of her audio, what she said in her Instagram story saying, this girl lies. Like, listen, I thought I was being a good friend to her because of how bad Jen Shaw treated her and this other guy. Um, I don't know. I just, I found it. I, I found, I find this is when social media is not all that bad. It's bad, but it's not all that bad because it provides a deeper understanding, if you will, to dive into the story a little bit more in a 360 way instead of what we just see edited together. I do get frustrated with always, uh, you know, one of my big bones to pick with any, and there's no way around this. I just hate that it's going to be a three-part reunion that will be one a week. Like I want, I want all the information now. And I don't love, like, I, I, I feel like once we get to the reunion, I want them back-to-back nights. I want them back-to-back nights. In fact, today's guest is Beth Karas, who's a legal analyst, and she is uh, one of the, the main talking heads that helps us, uh, takes us through the story of the curious case of Natalia Grace um, that is on Max right now in ID Discovery, Natalia Speaks, the second part of this fascinating docu-series. And she's our guest. Um but, uh, uh, you know, with the curious case of Natalia Grace, Natalia speaks, they've aired two episodes the past three nights. Actually, the final two will be airing tonight, Wednesday night. But I like that it's all in the same week because sometimes I, once we get to that part where you're, you're, you're recapping the entire story, I want it back to back. I want to be, I want to know that I don't have to wait a week. I know this is, do you guys feel like I do, or, or do you like to, to wait that six to six days before the next 
part of a reunion or telling that story. Because I think once we get there, we, we deserve to know. We deserve to know how production wants to wrap this story up. Um, so uh, that, that's my thought. But anyways, I'm so excited to have Beth on today. We're going to do a couple pop culture stories. Remember with the show, you there'll be timestamps. So you could skip right to Beth if you want to. Um, oh, this is right. So over the hall. So it was after Christmas, actually. And I can't tell you the name yet. Folks, summer is just around the corner, so it's time to say goodbye to those jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Now, I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily, I found Quince. Now, I have a lineup of timeless pieces I want that will keep me looking fresh year after year. I got a pair of tan shorts. I got a pair of green shorts. I cannot wait to style these for summer. And I gotta tell you, the quality is great because Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from 30 performance polos, and versatile flow knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman by partnering directly with top factories and passes that savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. So you can feel good about what you're wearing on every level. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash so bad for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash so bad to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash so bad. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I thought I was being pranked at first, but there was a Bravo celebrity that I love that reached out to me and said, hey, please give me a call. Here is my number. Uh, I would like to speak to you about something that was on your show. And I was like, oh, shit. Because, listen, it has been a hard last couple of weeks. And I was like, oh, God, what did I say? And I'm trying to go through in my head. But you guys know I say so many things. And on top of that, I say so many stupid, just idiotic things that I was like, this could be any, this could be anything. What What is going on? And I called them. And... They answer, you know, and I was like, okay, so this is, and it was wild. We ended up having like a 30 minute conversation. And I, the only reason I'm not telling you their name yet is because I think they're going to come on the show and I can't wait to tell you more about this, this conversation that we had, which ended up being lovely, even though they wanted to push back on a couple of things that I was saying about the show that they're involved in. And I don't know now that I'm actually saying this out loud, I'm like, oh, this is so kind of douchey because it's like, why would you tell us? I don't know. I'm just telling you guys, once I tell you, you're going to laugh because I even texted Meditza and Sandra afterwards and I was like, oh my God, you're not going to believe who I just got off the phone. I could, oh my God, you guys. And, and we talked, we even talked about my mom in the conversation. We talked about the holiday. We, I, it was, it turned out to be so great. And then they asked me advice on, and I, I was like, this is so bizarre on so many levels. But then at the same time, they turned out to be so 
you can tell, I mean, I, and by the way, I, this person themselves, I speak very highly of, it's just the per, uh, it's sometimes the people around them. I speak very negatively of, so I didn't know what I was potentially walking into. Anyways, it was very, oh God, I want to tell you, uh, I'm going to tell you very soon. I'm going to tell you very soon, but it was very exciting. It was very exciting after I realized I wasn't dead. Like, I, I think I was also like, like, am I going to, are you, are you going to threaten me? Am I, do I need to watch my, do I have to watch out for the Greek mafia? Is that, is that what's happening right now? Um, oh gosh, you guys, I, I missed you. Even though I don't, we had a bunch of episodes. We also on the Patreon, I'll be doing new Patreon episodes this week. I did a whole mix. Uh, if you guys missed the mashups and some songs, and I've got another one I'm working on for the Patreon as well, which is a great place to put them because I can't put them here, but I really love music, as you know. Uh, what I, one of my, it's not a resolution, but what I do every year, every year I start these lists of movies in 2024, TV in 2024, albums in 2024, and books in 2024. And I will start that list every year and I will write down every. Uh, I will, I don't write down every episode of television I watch, but I'll write down like when I finish a season of something, I'll write down every movie in the theaters and at home. I will write down every album I listen to because I'm still in that place where I can't accept that we live in a single, like a, you know, a music single dominated culture. Now people don't really care about albums anymore, but I still care about albums. So I try to listen to one album a day and I fail every year. Like last year, I think I listened to like 300 albums. Um, but I've already listened to like five albums this year. So I'm really ahead of schedule. I get really excited about keeping these lists. I don't get excited about keeping to-do lists. I'm very bad at that, but, uh, but music lists, but it's something, I don't know if you guys keep track of that at all, because it is fun to go back and see how many movies you watched and remember those times that you had with this pop culture, with this, this media that we consume, that we love so much. Uh, I love, I love stuff like that. And, uh, that, that's what I did actually on the first, that was one of the things I did. Um, okay. I wanted to do a couple of news stories before we get to, uh, Miss Karras, uh, Beth, uh, who is truly amazing. This poor Miss Karras, I, I geeked out on her severely. And I do want to make the point of that too, is that, you know, true crime in some ways and these mysteries and things like that, that are presented on all of these channels are done really well. But it is interesting that intersection that that these true crimes and mysteries have become pop culture in the last couple of decades. I mean, I think we could go back to, I mean, the O.J. Simpson trial um, there, you know, Jody Arias. Uh, there, there are so many different trials, which they've become celebrities, the people that are involved in these trials. And I feel like now in the year 2024, it's even reached a fever pitch. It is. It has become like reality television in so many ways, and I find that really scary and fascinating. But at the same time, I want to be honest in that that it is entertainment now. There is this bit of entertainment that it walks us through, and I'm trying to reconcile my feelings on that. Um, anyways, uh, we'll get to Beth in a second, but I also want to give a, a special shout out to uh, Lisa Rinna. Do you guys remember Lisa Rinna? She used to be on, um, I think she was a friend of on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. <laughs> it's me, Lisa Rinna, everybody. Happy New Year. <laughs> I was just with Harry. He was asking me to leave him alone, so I wanted to pop out and say hello. Well, anyways, you guys, the Daily Mail is reporting that Lisa Rinna, 60, she looks amazing for 60. There's no joke there. Stirs up controversy as she poses nude 
on social media again to mark 2024 as fans urge her to grow the F up. <laughs> that's, that's a great Daily Mail headline. Now, this is showing that my brand is strong and sad. I got sent this picture so many times in the last day of Lisa Rinna posting nude. And the thing is, guys, I didn't even realize this was like new because I've seen so many pictures of Lisa Rinna you know, doing this whole naked bit, you know, that I just thought this was one of those, but I guess she did a new one. Happy new year, 2024. She, uh, wrote on her Instagram and she placed emojis covering up her breasts and crotch. Thank you, Lisa. And she wrote starting it off fresh. And I was like, I'm going to start it off by getting your account shadow ban. I don't listen. I don't want my kids to see this filth. Now I don't have kids, but if I did, I don't want them to see like mommy, mommy, Lisa Rinna's nude on Instagram again. She's dancing again to Harry Styles. She might throw out a hip. It's scary. No, I don't think anybody can argue that Lisa Rinna looks great. I also don't think anybody can argue that Lisa Rinna is scary. (laughs) I think sometimes she is scary and it shows you. I don't know. There is this thing when you leave the housewives, like I think Lisa Rinna's doing good. Like she got the American horror story. I think she's working on another uh, TV show as well. So she's showing up at like every runway catwalk. I just think my thing was, I never wanted Lisa Rinna to not succeed. If that makes sense. I want her to work forever. I think she's a talented actor. There's no, no joke there. I just thought she really became really long in the tooth on the housewives, especially this last season where I thought it was good that she sat it out. My issue though, is when you start bad mouthing the housewives, when you start bad mouthing the show or Bravo in general, that's where I get pissed. It's like, I can talk shit about my family, but you cannot talk shit about my family. And the fact that this show revitalized Lisa Rinna's career, and then she has the balls and then complain about it. It to me is like sour grapes because we all know how this song ends. We all know this, how this song ends where she wants to get back on the show. She'll beg to get back on the show. We've seen it time and time again. And I just think that's the frustrating part is that, look, we, we can see into the future, Lisa, trust us. You're going to want that paycheck. You're going to need that paycheck at a certain point. And you don't want to badmouth Bravo now when Andy has said so many times that you, this is kind of like a pause. <laughs> no, not, kind of like Dorinda. Oh my gosh. Are you guys watching Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip? How amazing is that? Now, not tons is happening, but it doesn't have to be. It's just the ladies, the way they interact, the way that they talk over each other. You can watch the episode three different times and get three different things from it. If you pay attention to like a different character each time, they just talk over each other. It's like the only thing I keep always describe it as like a David Mamet play. David Mamet uh, wrote uh, so many good, like what American Buffalo and uh, uh, God, her uh, Glengarry Glenn Ross just, but he would write his characters where they would talk on top of each other or at the same time. And that would be in the script. So when you rehearse it, you would be doing those lines at the same time. And it's, it's like real life. And so when you watch Real Housewives of New York, this ultimate girls trip with all the Real Housewives of New York, it really throws us back in a time where they did it first and they did it the best in terms of reality television. So I am loving Real Housewives of Ultimate, Real Housewives of Ultimate Girls Trip over on Peacock. The new episode comes out, I believe, on Thursday. So you just have to wait one more day. But I've enjoyed every episode. I actually am caught up on that. So I can't wait to talk a little bit more about that. And hopefully somebody, hopefully we'll have one of the cast members on there uh, in in a little bit. So Lisa Rinna uh, celebrated that, scared the shit out of me. I was like, this is not going to be a good year when I saw that. But congratulations to, uh, to Lisa Rinna. 
on that sick bod, yo. <laughs> the Harry's Bowls Nasy keeps my skin looking young and vibrant. <laughs> okay, in other Bravo news, before we get to some actual general pop culture news, um, Summer, House's, uh, Summer House star Sam uh, Ferrer, uh, who, who's been on the show before, remember she was dating Corey Kiefer, uh, there is some breakup rumors going on with them as she appears to ring in 2024 without them. The daily mail is reporting because the 26 year old blonde bombshell shared new year's Eve outtakes in an Instagram post, which did not include Corey Kiefer 33 and added a telling caption. She wrote a fresh start. She wrote underneath two photos, one solo shot and one with a gal pal and they each held martinis. And so she just wrote fresh, fresh start. Now this could be completely reaching, but I will say, I will say that after watching the winter house season this season and watching the, uh, the reunion, I do think that there was obviously, you know, it's, it seems like Sam is having a very hard time in that relationship. Uh, you know, and I would completely understand why. Now I saw them, I sat right next to them, at the Bravo Awards at BravoCon, and they were having the time of their lives. But I just imagine this. Uh, I mean, Sam's great. I, I, I think Sam is very special. I think she's very unique, and I, I'm excited to see her on a new season of Summer House. Uh, I think it might have been too much too soon in regards to Corey, and I think Corey is just kind of a different animal. Um, and, and who knows? Maybe this is not true. And also, maybe they're on a break. Who knows? We don't know. But that uh, Daily Mail is really reading into your Instagram caption. Oh, God, do you remember you used to do that when Facebook first started? You would just post like a lyric to a sad journey song and everybody would be like, what's wrong? What's going on? What does that mean? What does that mean that you posted that sad song lyric? What you know, we, we always have to take something from it and make it an actual story. So we will see now in uh, actually I lied to you. I'm going to do another Bravo story. But this is also because I had uh, the ladies from the Bravo docket on. A couple of weeks ago, it was just a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about Tom Girardi. Uh, do you remember Erica Jane's uh, piggy bank? I mean, sorry, husband uh, was standing trial to see if he was no, was at a court hearing to see if he would be able to stand trial, if he, if he was mentally competent enough. Well, guess what? Today, the Los Angeles Times is reporting that Tom Girardi is declared competent to stand trial. Now, if you remember, Ceci went actually to one of the days of the competency hearing and, you know, just gave her opinion was that that he wasn't. And I got to tell you, I kind of was with Ceci on this was that I think, uh, you know, Mr. Girardi is obviously in a different mental state and obviously in the sunset years in more ways than one. And I, I, I am actually really shocked that he has found competent to stand trial. So a federal judge in Los Angeles has found him competent, paving the way for the disgraced former lawyer to go before a jury this year and answer charges that he stole more than 15 million from his clients as part of a decades long fraud screen scheme. The decision was announced Tuesday in a brief notation on the case docket that U S district judge Josephine L Staten had filed in order finding defendant competent to stand trial, the order was placed under seal until lawyers for both sides 
have a chance to identify information in it they want to keep confidential, such as health records and other sensitive material. Maybe there's some uh, nude shots of me acting Maybe that's sensitive material. The ruling was a victory for prosecutors and for legions of Girardi's former clients who feared that their erstwhile lawyer's dementia diagnosis would forestall a jury trial and accountability for the 84-year-old. He's not above the law, said former client Danny Barnes, who estimates he lost about $2 million from a settlement in the 1990s for Lockheed Martin workers who said they were poisoned by chemicals used at the aerospace facility. Though the indictment does not cover his claim, he said Girardi's prosecution validated all who felt victimized. He's done a lot of harm to people. He's damaged families. He stole our money and our heritage. He knows it, so he should be afraid. Uh, Joseph Ruggi, uh, um, butchering this name, Ruggi Gomez, uh, he was on the Housewife and the Hustler documentary, who suffered catastrophic burn injuries as a teenager in the 2010 San Bruno pipeline explosion, is named in the indictment as one of Girardi's victims. I was pretty surprised, he says, of the competency decision. Um, Now, remember, Girardi negotiated a $53 million settlement for this gentleman and his parents and and is alleged to have stolen part of it. And he said, I thought they were going to let him off easy. Girardi faces the prospect of dying in prison if convicted of wire fraud charges that carry the possibility of a decades-long sentence. So this is going to be really interesting. You know, it uh, we'll see how this is presented. Uh, also, can you imagine being a juror on this? Man, and I think I would immediately, if I get called for jury duty and this is it, I think they, I would immediately, they're like, oh, you have a Bravo meme account? Go, you could actually be a cast member on Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. So we'll get you, we'll get you more information, but I got to tell you, this was a real, this was a big, the Salt Lake City finale and this are two big surprises in 2024 already, because I thought there was no way that they were going to declare him competent in any stretch of the imagination that, that did blow me away. So I can't wait to talk more about that. Oh, also one last thing, uh, guess who got involved in the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City hysteria tonight. Oh, that's right. If you think uh, prison can hold this woman down, uh, think again, because the real Jen Shaw posted this on her Instagram stories. Quote, Bravo, if I punched Heather in her eye, you guys would have footage to prove it. It's clear the show can't live without me since I was brought up at the beginning, middle, and end of season four. Andy is still butthurt that I turned down his one-on-one interview. Why would you sit down with someone who gave another cast member a black eye? Next story, end quote. First off, uh, she must have given this quote to somebody else. She obviously does not have access to her Instagram, and I think that has to go through many channels. But secondly, girl... Please listen. I know you want a little shine. I know it's fun to get attention. I know it's fun to release things in the press that you're friends with Elizabeth Holmes, um, the the founder of Theranos that just got uh, you know put in your prison a couple of months ago. But I think the one thing that we can come together as a Bravo community, the one thing that we are not mixed up in, I don't think a lot of people have differing opinions on, is that Jen Shaw is not needed on Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. They are telling a story that is coming off the heels of you um, – completely defrauding elderly people. So the ramifications of that and you going to prison, we had to start the story there. And also, yeah, you're, you are going to come up. You're probably going to come up in other seasons as well. I hate to break it to you. And you watch housewives, you know how it works. They still talk about Bethany on their show as well. And listen, I never thought I would actually compliment Bethany in 2024, but you're no Bethany. You're just not. And also, this message really showed me exactly how much you've changed so far. You can press release all the time about your Shaw amazing abs in prison and all of these things and good deeds that you're doing, but at, at your heart, you're just still 
this person, this person that is exactly what it seems like Monica might be coming or turning into, but Andy is still butthurt that I turned down his one-on-one interview. The language, I mean, Shakespeare would be impressed, but also I fully believe that she fully punched Heather in the eye. And I think it is funny that Heather who I don't agree with, you know, and you guys know that, you know, how hard she rode for Jen. I still will never understand. I don't understand why any of those ladies ride to this day so hard for her, so much so that I think she has information on those ladies because at this point, why do it? But see, Heather, see what happens? Jen Shaw immediately, immediately calls you a liar uh, from prison, from prison nonetheless. Doesn't even sit there and think, you know what? Maybe I, I should just say, hey, it was a bad night. I don't know. It was a bad night. I feel horrible. And I thought, listen, I'm already in trouble. Me accidentally giving Heather a black eye. That's just going to make me look even worse. Now is the time to come clean for your ancestors, as you said in court when you got sentenced. I mean, this cracks me up. But at the same time, it's not even needed. And it's a tiny, tiny part of the story that I don't even think at this point is the exciting part of the story. It just seems like you've got a lot of healing left to do and you've got a little time to do it in prison. And I hope you truly do that. But at the the same time, that kind of stuff, these kind of things thrown out there makes me sad because it just shows you she still does want to ride those. She wants to ride that wave. It's that thing, even if you're in prison or if you're a housewife that just got, you know, off the show and you want back on, you know, they start going through these crazy antics that it's like, dude, go back to school. Do, you know, like, listen, uh, I don't know. uh, I I think I'll be talking about this idea until the end of days. Uh, And I'll be talking about this docuseries, The Curious Case of Natalia Grace. Natalia Speaks until the end of days, a six-part docuseries. Like I said, the final two-part will be airing tonight. And just to remind you, you guys, this is picking up uh, where the shocking finale of The Curious Case of Natalia Grace left off. And I believe that left off, what, what, what was that, in May? Or it was a while back. But this dives headfirst into the questions, controversies, and secrets unearthed in that first installment. But this time, Natalia shares her side of the story. We did not have Natalia's voice in that first part. And it is such an important clarification of this story. And if you've seen the first two episodes, it really gets revealed immediately some bombshell information that would have cleared this whole thing up. And that's why you always got to think about stories about context. Somebody can tell you something. Somebody can just say, I'm sure this is it. and, And people will just accept it. People don't look further than that thing. We've talked about that concept so many times. And then when you actually see Natalia speak, you're like, oh my God, okay, this is completely bogus. This is completely bogus. Also, there are such, uh, not just Natalia, but Michael, who used to be her adoptive father, he pops back up on this, Michael Barnett. And he is just a character made for reality television. If you've watched this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This guy belongs on Real Housewives of Potomac or something because he is just, he is a character. I'm trying to be as nice as possible, but he is a character. But at the same time, I was rewatching the first two episodes of this today. And I just thought how incredibly sad I felt for Natalia. Um, a young girl that is getting passed around that has certain complications and struggles she has to deal with that a lot of us don't. And on top of that, you know, all of a sudden becoming fodder and people are looking at her like she's this killer Ukrainian girl, like the girl out of the movie orphan. I mean, it's just really heartbreaking when you actually start putting that story together. And sometimes remember the truth of the matter is sometimes way less entertaining than the bullshit people make up all the time. So 
Uh, I just thought this was really good. It's it's a little long, six parts, but I, I can't wait to watch the final part because I have not seen the last episode because they didn't give it to me. But over the course of this six parts, uh, this retraces her adoption saga, the Barnett's allegations from Natalia's perspective. Remember, they alleged that she was threatening, that she came to their bed with a knife. Um, and she offers insight into what really went on behind those closed doors at the Barnett household and how much truth there actually is to their claim that Natalia was not a six-year-old Ukrainian orphan with a rare genetic disorder, but rather a homicidal adult intent on harming them and their children. It has new unseen evidence and footage, as well as new theories and testimony from an array of voices. But today we have our reliable narrator. I think Beth Karras her career, uh, you know, is just incredible. She has walked us through so many cases. I, I, I'm such a fan of hers. And that's why I was like fangirling out, which I know is ridiculous because this is a very real job, a very real person. And these are real stories. But I just thought, you know, it, it's one of those things that I, unfortunately I look at these things sometimes as entertainment and you have to realize these are very real stories. But Beth Karras is always that example of how I talk about in housewife shows of the reliable narrator. And she walks us through this story we need her strong and steady voice. I think she just does it with such grace and aplomb. And I just am such a huge fan of hers, which is like I said, that's weird to say a fan of so, but I am, I'm a fan of hers. So anyways, without further ado, here is my conversation with Beth, Car- Beth Karras from The Curious Case of Natalia Grace. Natalia Speaks. You can watch this on Max, ID Discovery. It's there at your leisure, but you're going to want to burn through this thing. Good way to start your first week of 2024. And I'll be putting another episode out today that has a musical artist. And I had such a fabulous conversation with her. So I hope you'll check that out as well. I'll do a couple pop culture stories there at the beginning, but I just think it's a really fabulous conversation. And I love talking about music and I don't get the, uh, I don't get the opportunity to do that a lot on this show. So we are course correcting that. Have a great rest of your Wednesday, you guys. And I'll talk to you on Thursday where we will go deep on that Real Housewives of Salt Lake City finale. And then on Friday, Real Housewives of Beverly Hills finale. We are back, baby. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to So Bad It's Good, presented by Betches Media. Today, uh, this is a great episode. If you were like me, you were fixated on uh, a docu-series called The Curious Case of Natalia Grace that really took hold of our imaginations last May. Well, you're going to start 2024 off right, because January 1st, we have six episodes spaced out over three nights of the return of the curious case of Natalia Grace, but it's very important. This is Natalia Speaks. We have Natalia Grace herself in her own voice walking us through her story that actually shows us that truth can sometimes be stranger than fiction. And of course, the recurring characters are put into place. You have Christine, Michael Burnett, the family. Uh, I watched the first five episodes. I still have not seen the sixth, and it is a ride, folks. It is a ride. I was so excited to watch this. But uh, the reliable narrator, as I call her, of these episodes is somebody that you're familiar with already. She is really, for me, at the top of her game as a legal analyst. When I see her pop up on my screen, I know that I can trust her. So this show really uses her to great effect. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Beth Karras. Beth, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for that nice introduction, Ryan. I hope I live up to everything you just said about me. I've been a fan of yours for so many years. I mean, you've covered so many high profile trials and you really help us understand the legal process because it is so hard to understand these things. And especially with this case, what do you think the fascination that we have 
with the Natalia Grace story is because I truly, I've talked to so many people that, that can't wait for this return of this docu-series. What, why do you think it has our imagination? So, you know, crime is a big genre, right, in, in podcasts and television. Uh, and unfortunately, a lot of the crime that gets um, made, the stories, are, are murders. And this is a nice departure from that, right? <laughs> uh, there may be abuse, but nobody's murdered. Thank God. But there's all there are so many twists and turns and we don't we don't know what the truth is. And it all really all comes down to what the Barnetts did in June of 2012 in getting Natalia reaged. Everything that happened to her after that, after they had her reaged up 15 years from eight to 22, I mean, changed the trajectory of her life. I mean, she's put in an apartment by herself. Whether she's a child or an adult, she didn't have coping skills. She was in two different apartments that were not modified for a little person. Plus, she had disabilities on top of it. She wasn't educated. She needed medical attention. I mean, it all stems from the reaging. And Natalia, of course, has always said that she wasn't the age they said, despite yeah. the fact that she told people that. So our fascination, I think, comes from trying to figure out who's telling the truth. What jurors do every day in courtrooms around the country, they hear from two different sides and they try to figure out what's the truth. What are the facts that we're going to believe and rely on to come to a verdict? Well, it's sort of we're kind of like 13th jurors. You know, we know more than Michael's jury knew because we know all yeah. about the age issue. The jury didn't. And we're trying to figure out, we heard Michael's side. He's clearly, he's got some problems as a storyteller. You know, he's yeah. not that reliable. He's made for reality television. Michael, I cover a lot of reality television. This guy is a reality television star. Unfortunately, he is a real life person. And the part one of this docuseries in May, we got to see his trial and that he got off and he was celebrating. It was a big victory. And he is back to continue his Michael Barnettisms in part two, but I'm so happy Natalia has a voice this time as well. Yes. And it's so important to listen to her because she takes on some of the things that Michael says and he stands by what he says and she's adamant that he's wrong. I don't want to give away so you know what I'm talking about. I don't want to give it away for your listeners and viewers who haven't seen it yet, but you're going to hear a point counterpoint and you're going to hear new stuff of, about abuse come out of Natalia's yeah. mouth. It's really, you know, it's, it is a ride, as you said, a, yet another ride. Well, it is interesting. When you give somebody a voice, you immediately lock into a story. And it was so, so important to have Natalia a part of this. And I think that's what really makes this very special because, you know, the first episode immediately she's talking, you know, she doesn't appear to be a monster like we had heard all of these stories. And the story gets revealed little by little. And it just shows us today with media and things of that nature, how we can be presented a narrative and fully believe it and want to believe it. Like, it's almost more exciting to believe that she was lying about her age. This was like the movie Orphan. And that just gets your mind like kind of ablaze. That's right. Yep. Um, well, that could bring us in a whole new direction in terms of talking about where we get our news and how we pick and choose <laughs> what we read and, you know, and all these things that, you know, frame the, the, the way we think. But here we're trying to give as many facts as possible and let people make up their own minds. Not everybody's going to agree. There are certain questions that are going to get answered, but not all questions get answered in, in this because we, we don't hear from Christine, right? She's not cooperating. So what we know about Christine comes from Natalia and comes from Michael. And they're on the same page on some things and not on others. Uh, we also have 
messaging between Michael and Christine so we can get inside her head a little bit. And we tried to take her conduct and things she said or wrote, texted, whatever, emailed, uh, and try to, you know, that's what what you do in a trial. I mean, you can't get inside someone's head. You take all the conduct and try to figure out what their intent or whatever their state of mind was. So that's what we're doing here. What fascinates you still after all of this time about the legal process? What keeps you intrigued and being able to explain it to us? Because sometimes I hear about this, I want to throw my hands in the air. How do you keep coming back to this when you see all sides, you're trying to stay our reliable narrator? How do you do that as a professional? So you're talking about this case in particular or in general? Well, this case, but also you can in general, because you cover a lot of high profile cases. I've seen a lot of your stuff through the, you know, in the past. How how do you stay uh, focused? So uh, first of all, I love the courtroom and I love the law. And uh, let me take the general question first. Um, You know, I was 19 years at Court TV after being an assistant DA for eight years in Manhattan, where I am. Um, And it's the same formula, right? I mean, for every every trial, you know, a jury gets selected, opening statements, put on the evidence, defense puts on their side, closing arguments, and there's a verdict. You'd think after, I mean, year after year, I did it for two decades, that I would have tired of it. Never, yeah. right? Because every case is different. I have told people over the years, and it is absolutely true, that there's no greater drama that unfolds in America like what happens in a courtroom. Lives are changed in courtrooms every day. Somebody gets sentenced to life or to death and, you know, there's vindication and and victims give their impact statements at sentence. I mean, it's just courtrooms are, are theater. They are yeah, it's gladiators almost of, like you said, like certain things in the first part were not be able to present to the jury, but us, the audience at home, thanks to ID discovery and things of this nature, we get a fuller scope. And yes. that I think is sometimes the confusing part about the legal system for me and the viewers is why do we get all of this information and where it really counts, they don't. Okay, good question. And I have said over and over, and forgive me if I, if you've heard me say this before, but people think a trial is a search for the truth. Well, it's a search for the truth under the rules of evidence. Judges will keep out certain evidence. It's just too prejudicial. If jurors learn this, then they're going to convict on that, not on the evidence, the you know, the more important, more relevant evidence, whatever. And 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 the judge kept out the age issue, saying there yeah. is an in Natalia's case, there's an order from an Indiana judge saying her age is 22, that she was born in 1989, not 2003. I'm not going to let you relitigate that. Half of the criminal charges against Michael and Christine had to do with neglect and abandonment of a child, right? It was yeah. based on her age and all those charges got dismissed because the judge said, I'm not going to let you do that. So um, we know more than the jury did because yeah. we don't have to follow those rules of evidence. We, you know, we can talk about the whole age thing. Although Natalia does bring it up to Michael and he won't go there, but I yeah. won't say more than that. You got to no, watch and it. It's a fat guys. What she's talking about is a fascinating scene. I, it really does pop. I think that's what actually makes it intriguing is a real human behavior. And especially from Michael who really exhibits a lot of, uh, behavior in the course of this. But I was thinking when you watch this back and when you're presented with this story for season two, what I found very powerful is actually finally hearing Natalia's story and watching her discover certain pieces of her life that she had not known before. Was that uh, was that powerful for you as well? Oh, absolutely. And you know, when this was first pitched as a special, when we learned Natalia would speak, 
it was going to be a two-hour special on ID at the end of the summer. That's what yeah, was. Yeah, I remember. I was waiting for it. Right. Well, because more material was coming yeah. in and more people who couldn't talk before were agreeing to be interviewed. And we realized, oh, no, this is like we can get this is six hours. We can't truncate everything we know into two hours. That's not fair. You know, we need to put some of the corroborating evidence out there for some of the things that Natalia said. So it's six, you know, it's six very full episodes. Um but I think I lost my train of thought beyond that. No, it was just like, did you find this story like really powerful when they were uncovering, you know, we get to see pictures of her as a, a little kid, that's, uh, pictures that she had never seen before. And I found it very powerful to watch her see these things for the first time in some cases. Absolutely. Oh, I know what I wanted to mention. Sometimes when a person is crying on camera, like viewers will say, well, I didn't see any tears. That wasn't yeah, really yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're going to see tears with Natalia. The yeah. tears are there and you see the wet stain on her shirt, you know, and they cut back to her and she had been crying. I mean, you see the tears. I mean, she is crying in the camera. She is reliving as she talks about some of these experiences. She's reliving it. Or as you just mentioned, she's seeing something new and is and is reacting. So um, it's pretty genuine. Yeah, no, it's very genuine. And, and it, you know, it was very interesting. She got passed around like a hot potato at a very young age, something that a lot of us have never experienced. And that's really that's tra traumatic in a way that is obviously going to stay with her. And she's seems like she's wound up with, uh, you know, the, the people that, you know, uh, are her, you know, that, that are her custodians right now. She seems like she's with a good family who we get to meet as well. Um, but it is interesting because we just were so questioning. Like I was so shocked in that first episode. She's saying full sentences. She's explaining her side of the story. And I'm like, okay, this all finally puts that all together. And that became a different story for me. I was like wanting the, oh my God, she is over there bed with a knife. And she even says, I'm not tall enough to be over there bed with a knife. Right. And also just physically look at her face compared to the pictures yes. from season one, the videos that were taken by Christine or Michael on their phones. She's a very different person today, right? Physically. Yeah. Looking at yeah. Well, and just to remind people on part one, and I don't think this is giving anything away, is that they rehomed her at a very young age, making her live by herself. And we saw footage of Michael coming over and questioning where she got the donuts and this and that. And it was really rough. But if you in your head think, oh, she's much older than she is, you're like, maybe. But then I think this new series adds definitive proof that you cannot argue that she was the very young age that she actually is when all of this happened. And that blows me away is that this is definitive proof. And that kind of throws it into a whole nother category for me, which led to just ama an amazing docuseries. Can you imagine like any eight or nine year old being sent no. to live on their own? No, no. school. They, 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 they got to take care of themselves. They got to clean themselves and wash their clothes and cook and go grocery shopping and make sure they're getting their benefits because she got government benefits, SSI benefits. I mean, like, they don't have the coping skills. Oh my God. I wet the bed until I was 11. Are you kidding me? I couldn't even take care of myself. Like it was really interesting to see, but also horrifying if you actually think about the reality of that situation for Natalia and also the anger in which she must have, because it must've been so confusing when you are a young person trying to deal with emotions and then not knowing where your real home is, why you're not being taken care of. The other thing this docuseries actually answers a lot of is the first part has some questions about 
potential behavior in a backyard where she might have doing uh, uh, certain sexual things uh, because a neighbor was told or this or that. And I found that because I heard that in the first part and I was like, how do you argue this? But the second part actually answers some of this. And you start to think about what people actual rem actually remember, how stories get passed down the line. And I thought that was interesting as well. Absolutely. So you'll see, for those of you who haven't seen it yet, that um, season two will do like flashbacks to season one. So you, to refresh your recollection of what was said and then Natalia's version or, you know, vice versa. Natalia says that we flash back to how it was portrayed. And so, you know, the viewer and listener has to decide who's who's telling the truth. But I do think that we have corroboration now for the truth on a lot of questions. There, there are still some unanswered questions, but yeah. you haven't seen episode six yet. So, you know, we can talk again after you have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can I call you after I see episode six yeah, and we'll just wrap yes, about yes, it? <laughs> you can get my contact information. That's great. <laughs> Um, so the other powerful thing, which I, we were talking about before we started recording was the Christine of it all. So just to refresh your memories, Michael and Christine, they adopted Natalia. They split up. It was a very contentious split. A lot of things, you know, still probably going on with that relationship. And we see Michael very performatively acting very upset about the whole thing. But there were so many questions about Christine. And I, I loved about the second part was just reminding us that, they had a very gifted son. They have a very gifted son that she wrote a book about that was going to be turned into a movie with Rosamund Pike. Uh, it was a huge advance, I think like $600,000, all of these things, which uh, allegedly uh, Christine kept all of that money. And it's put in there that they thought potentially they could do the same thing with Natalia, that it, this might not have been just for the good and kindness uh, through their hearts. This was actually potentially another revenue stream until they realized they don't have the power to gift somebody insane intelligence. That was fascinating. Yeah, that's uh, we don't hear from Christine. And so that's what Michael says. And there's a lot of evidence that seems to point to that being Christine's motive here. Here, wanting a special needs child like her eldest, Jacob, uh, that she could then turn into a genius. She didn't turn Jacob into a genius. He was yeah. given like a book when he was 10 months old in his crib. I think this comes out in season one or maybe I know it from yeah. outtake. He taught himself the alphabet at 10 months old, right? I mean, so, I mean, he's in college by the time he's 11 or 12, right? And he's like a physicist now. So, um, and at a very young age. So Natalia was a very average student. Uh, not dumb, but not a genius. She's just an average student, and she, but she yeah. needed a lot of a med medical treatment. She needed surgeries, and they, not all of them were going to be covered by insurance, and she was becoming an albatross around their neck. She was going to be a um, financial drain. And if, if uh, it, so the theory goes, if Christine couldn't make money off of Natalia, then she wasn't going to spend her money, the book advance money, a movie deal money, uh, on Natalia, she was going to just kind of get rid of her somehow and preserve no, her uh, reputation. Well, well, which right now I would imagine her reputation isn't that great as more and more, uh, more of the truth comes out and people look into this case. I mean, do we have any, uh, sense of where Christine is or how she responded to the first season in May? Um, she, uh, said something like it was whacked, like the season, it was, she, yeah, had something derogatory to say about season one. And I think she's still in Canada, but I'm not in touch with her or her attorney. So, um, I could find out for you, but I think she's not in Indiana. 
Um, and she's still in Canada because Jacob is still up there. I mean, he lives with his father like, yeah. like in the summer or whatever. But he's still he's still like working or going to school up in Canada or working or something. So um, and the other two kids, the other two boys are still with her. And uh, according to Michael, she kept all of that advance money. It was Michael's job to support the family. Uh, but she got to keep all the advance money. He really paints a very evil picture of her in season two. But she um, she wasn't happy with the series. But as far as I know, it, she never did anything further than post a few things about it. From a legal aspect, is all legal um, dealings with this case completely over? Is there anything that could be brought against Michael and Christine from this point on? Um, I don't believe criminally anything could be because the charges were dismissed against her with prejudice and Michael's yeah. been acquitted. Uh, in the civil realm, you know, I think Natalia's exploring a few things um, and she's looking into uh, getting her age corrected, you know, back down again. Yeah. But I, you know, I, I don't know where those are right now. Because I would say I was like, gosh, if they, 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 this is what why it's weird when it come, kind of comes into this pop culture sphere where you almost take it as a show instead of reality. Because I'm like, oh, season three, we get Christine involved. We, we, Christine <laughs> speaks like we do, and it's yeah, weird because you so. almost get excited about this when it's really, you know, the important thing is for Natalia to speak, which this does brilliantly. Right. Is finally hearing her story because we've never gotten to hear it from before. Right, right. Yeah, you know, okay, so people are entertained by this whole story, but you're right. It is, it's not, it's not entertainment. It's informative. Yeah. Right? I yeah. mean, we're shining a light on a horrible situation. Uh, and, and, and really, it may be the, the only way for Natalia to get some justice is to let the court of public opinion, let the public know what happened to her since there's no criminal court that's going to do anything. And I don't know about the civil courts. I mean, there may be some things she's pursuing, but this is a way for her to get some sort of justice is let people know the story. Do you pay attention to the response of these things? Because I was thinking that I was kind of excited for Natalia for people to see this and their reactions to this, because I think towards Natalia, it's going to be very positive. Do you do you pay attention to these things? And are you excited for that? Um, I do pay some attention, but I, I'm so busy with other projects, too, that I don't take the time. And I love to read books, so I read a lot. So, um, <laughs> but, um, but I am informed by other people, too, who will say, no, you got to read this. You gotta. And, and I was when season one aired on ID in, um, in May, I, I actually was on Twitter watching. You know, I was watching the feed. Yeah. Uh, the prosecutor, Jackie Starbuck, she she was posting. She wasn't with us at the time. She hadn't agreed to talk, but she was posting and, and, and you know, talking about things. Oh, Michael said this. He never told me that. Oh, these people from the hospital <laughs> said that. I never heard. I mean, I screenshot a lot of her comments because I didn't know that we'd ever talked to her. And I thought we got to save these comments because these are her yeah. words. Um, so that was really, and I'll probably do that. January 1st, yeah. 2nd, when this airs. I'm I'm really excited to see the reaction of this because I think people are going to really, it's going to blow their minds in a lot of ways after seeing part one because I, I got to tell you again, I went into part two still kind of going, I don't know what this could be. And it does a really, it's a clear, definitive answer for a lot of the questions that everybody's going to have in their minds. Um, going back to court TV where you started from, could you ever predict where we would be now in terms of docu-series being, making, uh, being made over cases, the day-to-day uh, news feed on terms of just cases. Could you have predicted this? 
No, no, absolutely not. And I was talking earlier today about how I covered Scott Peterson's trial in California in 2004. And I lived in a hotel in Palo Alto that summer and well, for the six months. But that summer, Mark Zuckerberg was in Palo Alto also developing Facebook and Twitter was developed like a year later. So that was one of the last big trials I did before there was any social media where you could like post in real time. And I was like, I was reading uh, snippets of what was happening in the courtroom that were coming to my BlackBerry. I was reading on air. There was no camera in the courtroom. Anyway, I could never have envisioned. And then, you know, when Making a Murderer comes out in 10 episodes. Right. Netflix. Riveted, that was kind of the beginning. It was like, oh, wow. The public will has a long attention span for a serialized story. So all of a sudden, all these long series come out. So, yeah, I mean, I've watched it all unfold. I've been in the crime space as a prosecutor or reporter, journalist for since 1986. Okay. So a long yeah. time. Um, yeah. and yeah, I've seen a lot of changes, but, um, they're good. They're well, good so, I mean, you're a star in this field. Like that's, what's interesting <laughs> is that, well, no, but that's, what's interesting is that we make the, like you, like I was like, I know, I know exactly who you are. I've watched so many things that you've done. And it is interesting because the darkness in which you have to cover and which you associate with at the same time, we've, you know, we make these people stars. I mean, even with the Scott Peterson, there are still people that are like, you know, I, I love him. I have a crush on him. Like all of these wild things when they're in TV, when we're talking right. about them, there's right. a star-like quality. People get confused nowadays. Yeah, I really like to think of myself as a messenger. I never, I don't, I don't think of myself as a star. People meet me, they say, "Oh, you're much shorter." I'm five two. You're much shorter <laughs> than you look on TV. I'm like, "What are you talking about? This is what you see on TV, mid chest of the head." And, and I tell them it's because I have a ten foot personality. That's what I say. They think I'm taller, but um, you know, I'm I'm a messenger. I consider myself a teacher. I loved. I love doing the analysis and explaining to people. It's yeah. what a teacher does. You know, maybe I should be teaching. I don't know. But, but you are teaching. As long as we, people want to watch. <laughs> yeah, no, we do. We want to keep watching you. We want to keep watching this. And um, uh, what was the best thing about this second part for you in covering it? Was there a moment that really just affected you, good or bad, that it stays with you? Because you've done so many of these and covered so many things. Is there one that sticks out for you with this project? Well, I mean, episode six really stands out for me. So you'll have to wait. You keep teasing this episode that. six because you know I haven't seen it. And you no, keep I teasing mean, yeah, it. I mean, that, that's <laughs> the truth, though. But um, I did like the, the, some of the corroborating evidence for Natalia's position. That was really important to me. But um, I did come away from the whole season still having some questions, even though even though some some of the key ones are, <clears throat> excuse me, are answered. I still have questions. And you're but that's how life me. is. I'm telling you, you're going to call I know. Me. That's, that's <laughs> like, Beth, I need the 10-foot personality to tell me what is going on right now. Um, I think you have a great relationship with ID Discovery and looking forward to 2024. Are there cases that you are potentially covering for them? I was thinking, I was looking at the you know docket in terms of, you know, we have the Idaho killer case that would maybe be starting. Are there other projects that you have your eye on that you can actually walk us through in this format? So there are aren't projects that I that I can talk about right now for ID, yeah. but I'll tell you, it doesn't mean I'm not going to be in them. What happens is I'm kind of like a cleanup batter. What yeah. happens, these guys, they, they bring me in 
sort of when they <laughs> have the story like laid out, but they yeah. say, no, no, well, we need to, we need somebody to string it all together and, and make sense. Oh, let's go get Beth Karras. And then they bring me in and I'm like, oh, okay. And I, they're like, well, this, we're coming off of this soundbite. We need to throw to that. And I say, oh yeah, I can get you there. And I explain what just happened. Yeah. And how yes. so sometimes I get asked a little bit later in the game, not at the beginning. So I sh- could be popping up on ID. I know there's one maybe you, coming up in February, but I don't think I'm at liberty to talk about it yet. But anyway, yeah. there could be more. I just don't know it yet. When I know, no, it, I think tell- you will be. And we see that in part two and even in part one is that, that you'll watch a clip of what they've filmed already and you'll explain to us what we just saw and add your right. expert advice. And right. I think that's necessary. It's that cohesion that actually takes scene to scene and walks us. It gives us that roadmap. And that's why it has to be you. Like I keep using that. I use it in reality TV a lot. The reliable narrator, because if somebody we don't trust says things, we just throw it out. We need somebody that we can trust. I, maybe I should hire you to be my agent. Okay. <laughs> let's make some deals. By the way, ID Discovery, are you on the line? Let's talk. We yeah, let's talk Turkey right now. Let's talk. Let's. We're looking at the docket right now. No, I just think this is what you do is so uh, is is sometimes the unsung hero of the whole project, but it's the most important part of the project because you you know. You know, Mike, Michael Barnett, he'll, he'll wax poetic about anything or my, you know, like he'll, he'll go off. He'll be, you know, he'll, he'll use tears. He'll use his voice big, you know, but we need a calming uh, voice to walk us through what we just saw, because if not, it wouldn't be grounded in any sort of reality. Ah, but the operative word you just used in that statement is calming. I'm not always calm when I'm talking. Like I'm using my hand. Compared to Michael, compared to Michael, compared to Michael, you are very calming. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, in terms of this, as we start winding down, have you met Michael or Natalia in person? I have not. Those interviews were done by producers in Indiana. I've been back here yeah. and watched, you know, all the raw footage, but I have not met them. I would love to, but you know, that's you know, maybe someday I will. Um, Has he ever reached out to you in any form? No, there was a woman, one of the, one of the uh, women who was interviewed in seasons one and two, a neighbor, a neighbor in the Westfield apartment, the first apartment she lived in. uh, Oh yeah. The one who said um, that Natalia, it was like living next to her was like living in a Hitchcock film or something. Uh, She reached out to me, but I, I had to pass her on to the producers because my role was not to engage, you know, with the, with the people, other people, that was their job was to engage in the people who were interviewed for the series. But yeah. Michael has not reached out. Okay, good. Uh, and and by the way, if he did, you probably wouldn't really be able to like go back and forth with him to stay, you know, put yeah. that over to the producers. Yeah. He um, had a good lawyer though. You would agree, right? He had a good oh lawyer. Oh my gosh, his lawyer. And, and that's another fascinating scene because his lawyer from the first part pops back up and he has some very interesting conversations and actually argues a very interesting point, I believe in episode five, if I'm not mistaken, four or five, that actually did make me think uh, still about Natalia's pattern of her own behavior. Um, so I found him to be highly effective compared to Michael, you know, as well. But um, uh, the other thing is, you know, you're talking about a, a, your own way and how you approach these things. How long did it take you to get to the place where you are now in terms of how you handle information, how you deal with it, how you process it and how you give it back to us? Have you did you used to start more sensational like 20 years ago and now it's changed a little bit? 
So you're talking about overall, not just this case. Yeah, overall. I started at Core TV in 1994, and I think I was really in a groove within a couple of years, like really comfortable on air. But and I would synthesize information for jurors, like I mean, for for viewers, where I would I would hear testimony and I would say, "Remember that witness yesterday and what you just heard? Here's how it all goes together." I would, and I used to have like the lawyers on the cases would say, "You know this case better than I do." And then I've had lawyers ask for advice, which I can't. I, they want advice. What witness should I call next? Will you help me with my summation? I could never do any of that. But I, they've asked me this. So I got like I was I was another person. I was another lawyer in the courtroom almost because I would study the case at night and I would whatever documents I had. So the more complicated the case was, the more the science, forensic evidence, I loved it. Like putting a piece of puzzle together. I loved all the, the more complicated, the better for me because I loved explaining it. I, I don't know where it comes from, but I just, it's just like my strength. I yeah, love it. I mean, it's not even I, work. It's not even work. Well, I know that. I mean, that's my old teacher. You just, you know, find something that you, you love and you'll never work a day in your life, which we've heard so many times. And it's so amazing that you love this. But do you ever being an assistant DA in Manhattan of all places? Did you do you ever miss actually being active, like being on the field itself? Yeah, I do. I do. I just, um, you know, I, I only did it for eight years and four years. I did street crime, you know, all the you know, violent yeah. stuff. And then for four years, I did organized crime and political corruption political corruption investigations. I kind of regret not doing the violent stuff for eight years only because my career went off in the direction it did. Um, and I was, you know, in courtrooms all over the country covering murder and mayhem. So, but it's good, you know, the investigative stuff gave me tools that I wouldn't, in skills that I wouldn't have had. You know, you rise to the level of your adversary, right? And that's in any sporting event. You're going to play t- better tennis if you're against a better player. You know, so I rose to the level of my adversary. I was against some top lawyers in New York City when I was doing organized crime stuff, you can imagine, right? So yeah. it probably made me become a better lawyer. But now, you know, I was just talking a little while ago about how I'm thinking about reactivating my license, you know, and maybe doing something. We need some- you now more than ever. We need we need you on the field. We need you on the field. Yeah. But, uh, two I mean, last questions. Like I love this stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, two last questions. Do you still believe in our legal system as a whole? I do think that our system is 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 better than any other. Right. It's not perfect, but I think it's better. We need to constantly keep working at it. And, um, you know, I think our jury system is is solid enough. There are mistakes. Prosecutors and police are not in the business of arresting and prosecuting innocent people. It does happen. I, I, I am a huge supporter of the Innocence Projects around the country and have, I, I wrote, I, I've written articles about yeah. people in the Innocence Project. So, um, but I do think it's it's a good, I still believe in the system. I have to. What are we going to do? What do we, we have to, we have to work with the system. Listen, and I, I trust you. I'll believe in it if you believe in it. So, <laughs> you, but, oh, and then my. secondly, um, uh, lastly is what do you want, uh, us, the viewer, uh, or what do you hope the viewer takes away from the six part curious case of Natalia Grace and Natalia speaks as a viewer, how should we approach this? How do you hope, how do you hope we, uh, consume this? Well, first of all, if somebody's watching season two, you need to like refresh yourself on season one. Right? <laughs> yes, obviously. A little bit. I mean, you don't have to take the time to uh, watch the whole thing, but you know, maybe read a little bit about it. Maybe look a little bit on online, social media, just to remember some of the issues. But I hope that people uh, give Natalia a fair shake. I do not 
discard everything Michael's saying. I think Michael is truthful about some things. I, I hope viewers come away just with critical thinking and assessing and looking looking for triggers to give them a, a factors to give them reasons to believe or not believe Michael or Chris uh, or, or Natalia. I, I just, and I hope they get some of their questions answered and I promise you some will be, but not all. But that's, that's like, life. The story is still unfolding. Yeah. I, I, by the way, I didn't know there was a six part. So the fifth part ended it. I was like, that's how it ends. I was like, this is wild. How does it end in the fifth part? So I'm so happy that the six part ex- exists and I'm so happy to get to talk to you. It really is. And I know we shouldn't make stars of any of the political system, but uh, the, I mean the courtroom system, but it has been such a pleasure to watch your career over these last couple of decades. And just really an honor to talk to you because I've watched you so much on my screens and you've explained so much to me over the years. So thank you. And guys, January 1st, start your 2024 off the right way. Maybe a little weird, but the right way with the two-part premiere of The Curious Case of Natalia Grace, Natalia Speaks. And then the following two nights, you get two episodes each night. And uh, that's the best way to start 2024. So Beth Karras, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Ryan. And Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year. So Bad It's Good is a Betches Media production. The show is hosted and produced by me, Ryan Bailey, with Meditza Lopez and Sandra Fryer. Additional support provided by Sean Kilby, Jorge morales Pico, and Rebecca Steinberg. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Video promotion by Laura Valencia. Be sure to send us your emails at SoBadIt'sGoodWithRyanBailey at gmail.com and follow the show at SoBadIt'sGoodWithRyanBailey on Instagram. And for additional craziness, go to Patreon.com forward slash SoBadIt'sGood. Stay bad, baddies. Batches.